hear the next. Different uh, no, no, this is the person we met. July 2nd, 2015. Okay. Welcome, everyone. Let's say a blessing, and then we're going to immerse ourselves in the story. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kitshanu Mitzvotav V'tzivanu La'asok V'divrei Torah Amen I uh, wanted to let you know I got to be in Zion National Park and Bryce National Park last week I hadn't Oh you have? Well, I'm so grateful I got to do that. We, Ellen and I were hiking together, and uh, it was really a great little vacation. And it was a heat, the heat wave, it was a heat wave out there, so the heat was getting hotter every day. And the last day, when we drove the rental car back to Las Vegas, it was 113 degrees. But it's dry. It's dry, but <laughs> it was, anyway, that was really marvelous. And um, I don't, not all of you know Douglas, Doug Shear. Some of you know Doug. Uh, Doug had, and Nora Lick just came back from a three-week trip to, uh, they were in L L Lithuania and Poland, uh, in and Latvia, it, it, Latvia exploring uh, their family origins. and. Fortunately, I'm on their email list, and Doug was writing these amazing um, um, reports about, about it. So if you want to talk to Doug about an amazing trip, thank you, Doug, and welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. Um, last time we met, which was two weeks ago, we were still in the middle of the story about the spy, sort of getting behind on the reading schedule. and. Um, I thought we would spend some time on that and then move into this week's portion today. So I'm not sure how it's going to go exactly, but I didn't want to abandon that story. But I also want to make sure we get to this week's story. So where we're going to pick up is um, on page 985, 984, 985. That's chapter in, during, in chapter 14 of Numbers. I know it's hard to pick up a thread two weeks later. Uh, this is the story of the um, children of Israel send 12 leaders, one from each tribe, to scout out the land. And they come back with the report, if you recall, that it's a very good land, but 10 of the 12 say, however, it's, we saw giants there. And we felt like grasshoppers. And so we must have appeared to them. It's a land that's going to consume us. It's going to eat us alive. And the people, uh, the children of Israel, respond uh, by starting to cry, which is their, usually how they respond. <laughs> they start to cry, 
and uh, they say, oh, we should have died in Egypt. You took us out here to die in the wilderness. This is horrible. Um, here, there are books on all the seats here. And they, st and they, are, they are freaking out and crying. And Caleb and Joshua, two of the twelve, say, no, no, quiet, it's a good land. We can do this. We can, we can do this. We can enter this promised land. And uh, the people are about to stone them, throw, hurl rocks at them, and at Moses and Aaron, when the presence of God appears, and um, says, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, Moses, I've had it. Remember, <laughs> we've been talking a lot about parents and kids. Moses, I've had it. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to make you a great nation. We talked about this two weeks ago. And Moses, in his, part of his greatness as a leader, is he says, no, 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 I'm with them. And uh, you can't do this. And then Moses, we were reading this passage, reminds God of God's own words and says, remember you said, when I asked to know you better, you said, yes, I am God full of compassion and forgiveness and patience. Remember you said that, God. And reminds God of God's own better nature. And that's where we got up to. And... Uh, and then the Eternal One says, um, now we're on verse 20, on page 984. We had just gotten up to this paragraph. And the Eternal One said, I pardon as you have asked. Nevertheless, as I live and as my presence fills the whole world, None of the adults who have seen my presence and the signs that I have performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and who have tried me these many times and have disobeyed me shall see the land that I promised on oath to their ancestors. None of those who spurn me shall see it. Except for my servant Caleb, because he was imbued with a different spirit and remained filled with me. Loyal is the word, but... Him I will bring into the land that he entered, and his offspring shall hold it as a possession. Now, the Amalek this is still God talking to Moses. The Amalekites and the Canaanites occupy the valleys. Start out then tomorrow and march into the wilderness by the way of the Sea of Reeds. In other words, I'll just remind you, they were ready. They had left Egypt. They'd spent a year at Mount Sinai. They were ready. They were going into the Promised Land. Until now. And God says, this isn't going to work. Take a different route. These people are not ready to enter. Go by way of the Sea of Reeds. They can't handle the Amalekites and the Canaanites that they're going to run into. Um, they're not ready for this challenge. The verse 26. The Eternal One spoke further to Moses and Aaron. How much longer... Shall this wicked community keep muttering against me? <coughs> Very well. So, in the way of the Torah, the rhetorical way of the Torah, it kind of repeats itself, but with different language. I have heeded the incessant complaining 
of the Israelites against me. Malinim, they say muttering. Okay, complaining. Say to them, Chai Ani, as I live, says Yudhei I will do to you just as you urged me. Okay, so I told you God has anger management problems, right? <laughs> In this very wilderness shall your carcasses drop. Of all you who were men who were recorded in your various lists from the age of 20 and up, you who have muttered and complained against me, not one shall enter the land in which I swore to settle you. The 20-year-olds and up, that's the, what the census was at the beginning of Numbers, right? That's how they were counting it. Um, not save Caleb, son of Yephuneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. They're the only ones who are adults who left slavery, who are going to enter the promised land. Your children, who you said would be carried off, that's what they said earlier, uh, that you took us out here so our children could be carried off as captives, and who you said would be carried off, these I will allow to enter. They shall know the land that you have rejected. That's a deep line. But your carcasses shall drop in this wilderness while your children roam the wilderness for 40 years, suffering for your faithlessness until the last of your carcasses is down in the wilderness. You shall bear your punishment for 40 years, corresponding to the number of days, the 40 days that you scouted the land, a year for each day. Thus you shall know what it means to thwart me. I, the Eternal, have spoken. Thus will I do to all that wicked band that has banded together against me, in this very wilderness, they shall die and so be finished off. Pretty strong stuff. Yeah. Pretty strong stuff. Yeah. Bill? It does sound very strong. Yeah. Um, and this is just because they expressed their fear it, of what they saw. They didn't just express their fear. They, they expressed it. <laughs> they didn't say, we're scared, but we'll go forward. They said, we're going back to Egypt. Let's appoint another leader. Yeah, yeah. And then they picked up stones to hurl at Moses and Aaron. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it, they it's weren't. More it's more than that. But again, this is storytelling. So, yeah. so let, let's keep going a little bit and see, see what we get. And as for the notables whom Moses sent to scout the land, those who came back and caused the whole community to complain against him by spreading calumnies about the land. <laughs> Those who spread such calumnies about the land died of plague by the will of the Eternal. Of those notables who had gone to scout the land, only Joshua and Caleb survived. Again, as a spiritual, as a spiritual journey, Joshua and Caleb survived because they have faith that they can get there. So the survival isn't necessarily a physical life and death question here, even though that's the language of the Torah. It's the story about who persists. We'll talk about Caleb more in a little bit. Then there's this incredibly poignant passage. When Moses repeated these words to all the Israelites, the people were overcome by grief. They got up early the next morning and set out toward the crest of the hill country, saying, we're ready. 
to go to the place that the Eternal has spoken of. We were wrong. But Moses said, don't do this. Don't do this. Here's Shakira. You made it. Oh, no. <laughs> I was thinking about, should I turn around and leave? I can't find it. No, Nobody here? Didn't you hear him say you made it, right? And we're talking right, we're heading towards the promised land today. <laughs> <laughs> You're going in. Great. Um, why do you go against the Eternal's command? This will not succeed. Don't go up there. You're going to be routed by your enemies. For God is not in your midst. The Amalek and the Canaanites will be there to face you and you will fall by the sword because you have turned from following the Eternal and the Eternal will not be with you. Yet defiantly they march toward the crest of the hill country. Though neither the Eternal's Ark of the Covenant nor Moses stirred from the camp. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that hill country came down and dealt them a shattering blow at Hormah. So, and the, the language of they defiantly marched toward the crest of the hill country is vayaapilu la'alot, they went up, remember. And then in verse 45, it says vayered ha'amaleki, and the Amalekites and the Canaanites descended upon them. So, again, in the spiritual landscape of the, that is this story, there's, they're trying to ascend from slavery to a different state of being. The state of being a free, free in the promised land a, and free and fulfilled. Um, in order to do this, they have to have courage and faith. That's the, that's the spiritual landscape. They have to have courage and faith. It's not going to be easy. There are giants there. right? There's much to overcome. But if they're ruled by fear and totally a desire to turn around and go back to slavery, they'll never get there. What seems like the harsh language of God could be the harsh language of reality. Right? And reality spoke and said, there's no way they can ascend to this next level. Not the famous statement, is it warm in here? Should I turn on yeah. the air conditioning? Hold on. Oh, I'm going to make it a little cooler. Don't worry, I'll split the difference. Okay. You watch, it's going to be the perfect temperature for everybody. It's a miracle. It's like the miracle of the Woodstock Jewish congregation. Everyone thought it was the right temperature. Yourself up. Oh yeah. Well, I got to tell you, in our old building, in our old building, first before we had air conditioning, we had. I managed to go to Myron's, which used to be a home yeah. center, yeah, yeah. and uh, get them to donate four ceiling fans to our place. Um, 
I did a lot of stuff like that. I <laughs> and um, <laughs> and and I remember. Um, I, I just remember. Uh, um, this is a long time ago. The ceiling fans are on, and somebody says, um, "It's too cold," and somebody says. It's the, too hot. And should we, someone says, well, should we turn them off? Should we turn them off? This was in the middle of a service. Oh. You know? And so I, I said, I love Jews. <laughs> That's all I said. And everybody was, everybody was happy for a minute. Okay. All right. The muttering persists. The muttering persists. Exactly, Bob. So, um, uh, so Caleb and Joshua are the only ones equipped to make the ascent. What are they equipped with? And this is the, so I would say the reality principle is God here, who says, you can't do it. You can take the slave out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the, 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 the slave sometimes. You know, it's like, and this isn't going to work. But your children, they're going to have to suffer for a while, but you're going to raise them in freedom, and they will be able to understand themselves as having the capability to ascend higher. Uh, and only Joshua and Caleb, of the whole party of former slaves, are going to be able to ascend. Yeah? So one of the things I think that's missing here is that Moses now hears that he too ain't going in the promised land. That's right. That doesn't happen in this portion, but it happens in the very, you know, in, in uh, several chapters from now. But he realizes it now. Because when God says only Caleb and Joshua are going in, He's not. That's no, right. Of anybody that wanted to go to the promised land, it is he. No one wants it more than Moses, and Moses starts to get the intimation mm -hmm. that he's not in that party. And we're going to look at the passage that expresses Moses' inner life in just a... In, 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 let's look at it now. We'll come back to Caleb and Joshua. So we're going to move ahead to Deuteronomy... Chapter 1, on page 1163. 1163. Moses is such a human being. And so the rabbis are fascinated, and so am I, by, by this passage because... Deuteronomy means the second, the, the, the rep repetition of the nomos, of the law. Because Deuteronomy is Moses recounting everything that had happened in um, the journey. As he, they stand in Deuteronomy, they're now standing on the banks of the Jordan. And Moses is giving them this final exhortation. Right? That's what the book of Deuteronomy is, how it's staged. And in Deuteronomy, um, 
chapter one, he starts reviewing um, what had happened over these years in the wilderness. Presumably, many of the people who are listening were babies at the time, right? So he's, t but it's all still set in the you, you know, the collective you. So look at verse nineteen on page eleven sixty-three. Do you see it? It's down at the bottom. We set out from Choreb. Choreb is another name for Mount Sinai. And traveled the great and terrible wilderness that you saw along to the hill country of the Amorites as the Eternal our God had commanded us. When we reached Kadesh Barnea, I said to you, you've come to the hill country of the Amorites which the Eternal our God is giving you. See, the Eternal your God has placed the land at your disposal. Go up take possession as the eternal your, the God of your ancestors promised you fear not and be not dismayed that's what Moses says I said at the time he's now going back 38 years 39 years then all of you came to me and said let us send notables ahead to reconnoiter the land for us and bring back word on the route we shall follow and the cities we shall come to so in this version, Moses is saying, and then you said, no, let's send scouts up. I approved of the plan, and so I selected 12 of your notables, one from each tribe. They made for the hill country, came to the, to the valley of Eshkol, spied it out. They took some of the fruit of the land with them and brought it down to us, and they gave us this report. Remember, so this is him recounting. And the report is, it is a good land that the eternal, our God, is giving to us. Yet you refused to go up and rebelled against the command of the eternal, your God. You sulked in your tents and said, it is because God hates us. That he, he, here I'm reading you, it is out of, our, out of hatred for us that the eternal brought us out of the land of Egypt. But a much better translation is, it is because God hates us which is such an incredible statement to make um, that he, God brought us out of the land of Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to wipe us out. What kind of a place are we going to? Our brothers have taken the heart out of us saying, we saw there are people stronger and taller than we, large cities with walls sky high, and even Anakites, giants. I said to you, do not fear them. It, God, God is going to guide you, going before you, fight for you, just as God did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes. And remember in the wilderness, when you saw how God, the infinite, carried you like a mother carries a child, a, or a parent carries a child, all the way that you traveled until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you have no faith in the eternal, your God, who goes before you on your journeys to scout the place where you are to camp, in a pillar of fire by night, cloud by day, in order to guide you on the route you are to follow. And God heard your loud complaint and became angry and vowed, not one of the men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. None except Caleb, son of Yefuna, he shall see it. And to him and his descendants will I give the land on which he set foot, because he remained loyal to the eternal. Because of you, the eternal was an oh. And now there's this, because, this is Moses talking, because of you, 
The Eternal was incensed with me too, saying, you shall not enter it either. This is one of the most amazing statements by Moses. Moses is telling them, it's your fault that I didn't get to enter the promised land. Jewish guilt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jewish guilt. Um, and uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, who attends you, he shall enter it, imbue him with strength, for she, he shall allot it to Israel. Moreover, your little ones who you said would be carried off, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they shall enter it. To them will I give it, and they shall possess it. As for you, turn about and march into the wilderness by the way of the Sea of Reeds. And you replied to me, saying, We stand guilty before the Eternal. We will go up now and fight, just as the Eternal our God commanded us. And one after the other, you men girded yourselves with war gear and recklessly started La'alot, up to the mountain. But the Eternal one said to me, Warn them, do not go up and do not fight, since I am not in your midst else you will be routed by your enemies. I spoke to you, but you would not listen. You flouted the Eternal's command and willfully marched into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you like so many bees and chased you, and they crushed you at Hormah in Seir. Hormah is not exactly a place name. Hormah means decimation or destruction. Um, again, you wept before the Eternal, but now the Eternal would not heed your cry or give ear to you. Oh, dear. So, uh, yes, Jay? Yeah. Um, oh, Jay, let me just say one thing. So, I'm pointing out again that this is the second, this is Moses recounting 40 years later his, his, his um, take on what had happened. Yeah. The word that jumps out to me, mostly, the operative word, and you see it at the bottom, at the beginning of... Um, of, I think it was um, 29, where it's in some quotes, have no fear. Mm -hmm. So fear, I and, then, and then at the end of uh, 21, says fear not, in quotes. Right. Now, let's for a moment define freedom as lack of fear. And then that is sort of the thread that cuts through. If you have fear, you don't deserve the freedom. But we can make it more nuanced. You can say, freedom is acting in spite of fear. Yes. Freedom is when you recognize that fear does not rule you. Freedom is when you have nothing more, nothing more. Nothing to left to lose. Nothing, and I mean nothing. Bobby, that's the same argument. Oh, I, I think it's an important distinction that, um, that freedom is when you recognize that your fear does not have to determine your actions. Yeah, but if that's the case, the degree of fear will be different than those who, who simply don't have fear. No, it's a relationship to who doesn't have fear. But, but, but Jay, who doesn't have fear? Well, that's my point. Right. Caleb didn't have fear. Yes, he did. No. Who, who, who? Caleb. Caleb? Yeah. Ah. Um, uh, maybe Caleb didn't have fear. Maybe Caleb's faith was so strong. Uh, so... So Caleb gets to enter. So why does Caleb get to enter? Um, uh, why does Caleb get to enter? Is this courageousness? Courageous. Courage. Faith. Trust. Faith. Trust. Yeah, but, but I don't want to be so... Uh, 
I'm not of the, I'm not, I mean, in a story, he could be fearless. But in real life, nobody's fearless. I mean, uh, it, so, Martin Luther King writes in his diaries about his terrors and fears. And one of the ways, one of the ways, in my... Martin Luther King never considered himself free. That's a, like, if you have no fear, that's freedom. If you define freedom as having... Well, Jay, I'm, I'm disagreeing with you. I'm defining freedom as understanding that you can act despite your fear. Slavery is when you feel enslaved by your emotions. Freedom is when you recognize that you have emotions, but you also have w free will to choose actions. So maybe Caleb... See, I, I'm disagreeing with your definition. Maybe yeah, because I don't know anybody who's fearless. Maybe Caleb is our free will. Maybe that's what he represents. Caleb, uh, what does Caleb's name mean? Uh, Kalev? Like a dog. With a heart. Two things. Heart. Yes. Lev is heart. Kalev means with heart. Caleb, Kelev means dog. What does it, why do you call dogs Fido? You know what Fido means? Faithful. Our dog is faithful. Totally faithful. So I think Caleb's name as dog is not an insult. No. You know, his name is dog, by the way. Caleb means dog. <laughs> Which came first? The, no, or the sure. Kalev, or the I think the, the I think the name dog came first, oh, before the name Caleb. Wow. But I think because of the way the Torah plays with Hebrew, Kalev means like a heart, as well as, well as dog, and so you can do this beautiful word play that. So, um, in the book, yes, Rob. How, how does um, Moses's uh, recounting of the story? About about Moses, right? Um, how uh, did you notice? There are a couple of key differences. One of the key differences is that he says that they, the people, told him that they wanted to appoint scouts. In back in the story, it just says send scouts, right? The second most important difference is that he says, and because of you, I'm not going to get to enter the land. It's so poignant. Uh, um, that's why Bob's reading. Now, we don't actually find out that Moses doesn't get to enter the land until Parshat Chukat, which is um, many years later. And it happens right after Miriam dies and Aaron dies. And uh, I think we'll look at that passage today. We'll look at that passage. And so that the plain reading of Numbers is that Moses doesn't get told he's not entering the land here explicitly, but why isn't he included? Why doesn't it say only Joshua and Caleb and Moses will enter the land? Uh, so you can see how even though Moses isn't condemned not to enter the land until um, actually 38 years from now. Uh, isn't this 38 years? Somebody's phone? Okay, it stopped. Aren't we in 38 years later? No. no we're, right. we're still in two years? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, this is when they're being condemned to wander. 
So Deuteronomy is still Deuteronomy is him recounting what happened. Yeah, Deut- now we're on the banks of the Jordan. Yeah, that's right. And this is Moses recounting what happened 38, 38 years before. That's right. So a couple of comments, and we'll range around here. Yes, Shikar. Is it the new generation now? He's speaking to the new generation. Right. Right. Yes. One was that Moses was not permitted to enter Eretz Israel because he had killed a man. He had committed murder. And that was part of the package there. And the other is that the decision, God's decision was that the Jews who escaped Israel were, who didn't have the mentality, the, the comportment of human beings. And he needed, he, God, the force, needed strong, free human beings to enter the new land, and so they had to shed that, and that's why the new generation only was permitted. Uh, right. Yes. Uh, now, the story about why Moses... So, the ancient rabbinic commentators have as much trouble understand, tr- trying to come up with why, why doesn't Moses get to the end of the land as any of us do. And the passage in which Moses is told that he's not going to enter the land is... Um, we might as well look at it. Jonathan? Yes. Before you go there... Sure. I'm, th- I'm sort of writing a midrash in my mind as we go. Okay, speak a little louder. I'm sort of writing a midrash in my mind as we go, and, and he's getting these intimations, but he hasn't been told. And there's a, he's unsettled. And the more unsettled he becomes, the more he lashes out, blame, blames it on other people. So he's not exactly in a balanced state here himself. Mm-hmm. Nicely put. No, Nicely put. Bob? I have another take on that. It sounds like he's blaming them for... But it's consistent in a way with the Jewish notion of leadership. You've got to have followers. And you have to have followership to be a good leader. So it's, it could be seen as an interdependency. I follow you. If nobody's, it, it, it's like the passage in, um, it's like the passage in Exodus chapter 6 where, um, uh, Moses says, how can I speak to Pharaoh? Right after he's told the children of Israel that, hey, God just spoke to me and said, we're going to get out of here and get to a promised land and it's going to be good. And it says, and the people could not listen to Moses because their spirits had been crushed by harsh labor. And so Moses then says, then God says to Moses, now go tell Pharaoh. And Moses says, how am I going to tell Pharaoh? If the people won't even listen to me, I'm like a man of impeded speech. So the interdependency of follower and leader is that they're not separable. Moses has said over and over to God, no, if you destroy them, destroy me as well. Um, hmm? Yeah, yeah. Moses is wedded to this people. And if they're not going to get up, he's not going to get there either. And his own... Something along those lines, too. But I like the way you said that, Bob. It's, it's complicated. It's awfully complicated to think of us in any way separate from the system that we're a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Pauline, 
And then Bill? I'm, I'm just thinking or feeling the wrestling that going on inside me. That if I take all these, all this personality and where I'm at back to that level of the spiritual journey, what does it mean that if I have my eyes and a pathway set to reach a certain point of closeness, be it to my higher being, my promised land, or a better place to be, or even a psychological or real life level. And there are all these different actors inside of me. There's Moses, you know, there's the Caleb of the me inside. There are the children of Israel. There are these young people that I'm trying to get to motivate to let's do it differently this time. And, and I can feel, looking at it that way, I can feel the tangles and turmoil inside my being of, of how do I go forward to try to have a new attempt, you know, a, a new kavana to try to get to this promised land in a different way. And how can, how can I give this information to these new children inside me that I want to take the mm. journey with me? And how, how would I, how would I untangle all these fears that I'm sitting with, both as Moses and with the children? It's, um, and here I am, sitting at the banks. So I want to propose that in addition to recognizing that we have fears and that we can't let our fears rule us, that what the Torah is telling us is that we need faith. Now, not faith necessarily in a guaranteed outcome, because that faith is going to be shattered. Right? But a faith that it's worth it to keep moving forward towards the, towards, towards the promised land. So what my Moses is reminding me of here in this story is what I've already, what I've already been able to come through. And this closeness to God that I've been given. And I've also been given a blueprint of the most important ways, the most important sayings to remind me how to go forward in this within community. So I have this great toolbox it, within me to make my next possible surge to a mother promised me. Yeah, what's with these people, Moses says? Don't they, and, and God, God's like, uh, uh, I, didn't they see what I did taking them out of slavery? Didn't they that, open the Red Sea, Mount Sinai? It's like, you're still here, keep going, trust. Yeah. So I want to take the, the stance of, as an attorney representing the children of Israel. Okay, good, good. And I'm saying, yes, being courageous and having faith are the admirable traits that, are, that God wants for, for those going into the promised land. However, I have a crippled, mentally stunted population who continuously needs the support and proof that, that it'll be okay. And yeah. I feel that, the, that they're being punished. 
Mm -hmm. They're being punished for being human. There are degrees of humanity, those people who lead, people of courage and faith, and there are others who are just plain scared. And, and I think it's a harsh and cruel punishment. Yeah, you should just slap them along. Yeah. Right. Oh, oh so I've, you've heard me talk before about Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev. Um, he, now, I love how you said you were the attorney because in, in Midrash, Midrash is Jewish storytelling about the Bible. So in Midrash, the, the, the stories often imagine the heavenly court. And in the heavenly court, going back 2,000 years, they imagine there's a prosecuting angel and a defending angel. And there are fantastic midrashim about the prosecuting angel said, look at those human beings. God, why did you ever even create them? <laughs> and the defending angel saying, come on, God, how, you, you know how beautiful these creatures are and what they can aspire to. You know, and these are the debates just like you're having. Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev in the late 1700s um, and early 1800s is famous for many stories where it says, On Yom Kippur, praying for the people's forgiveness. This is a story that Jerome reads for us on, on uh, Neila. Levi Yitzchak uh, ascended to the heavenly court, because, you know, it's the day of judgment, and said, and there are many versions of the story. In one version, he says, God, and I, 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 forgive me, I've shared this before. God, look, I know you have high standards for us and high expectations, but you gave us bodies. And in bodies, we have hungers, we have weaknesses, we have lusts, we have urges. We're doing the best we can. If you wanted us to be perfect, you should have made us angels. <laughs> but we're not. You gave us bodies. God, you did this. So now have compassion on us. And he wins God's forgiveness for the people for another year, right? Great story. In another Levi Yitzchak story that, that Jerome reads for us, it says um, uh, Levi Yitzchak is arguing with God about forgiving the world because this is the day of judgment. And then he hears a cry. Do you remember this? He's up in the heavenly court and they're debating and it's getting dark and he hears a cry and Chaim, the washerman, has fainted from hunger because the fast has been going on past Neila time. And uh, Rabbi Levi, Levi Yitzchak gets up and leaves. The presence of God. And uh, the angels say to him, Levi Yitzchak, you can't leave. You are on the verge of saving the whole world. And Levi Yitzchak says, is saving the whole world worth the life of Chaim the washerman? And he leaves. And the angels call after him, Levi Yitzchak, you are saving the world. That's the story that we read on Ne'ilah. Who said that the life of Chaim the Washerman? So, um, Bill is in a great tradition of arguing with God. Right? This is the Jewish tradition. Look, God, you made us this way. You know, so have compassion on us. We're, we're, not, we're not angels. We're not disembodied perfection. We're complete, we're complete mixed up mess. So we're trying. So in every generation, maybe we do a little bit more to ascend. And maybe, it's, you know, I know I'm not going to live until the year 3000, right? But isn't it my responsibility, and don't I want to take that on 
to live my life in the best way I can so that the people who come after me, you know, my grandchildren and, and other children, get to step up on that. To, so the ascension is constant. Who knows if we'll ever get... Where's there? What does yeah. that mean anyway? But it's the practice of it that's really important. And, and I feel like what Moses is wrestling with I don't know, is it similar to what Job was given? You know, there's a whole chapter that I haven't read yet in, in um, uh, Viva Zornberg's book on Numbers, which I'm reading right now, comparing Moses and Job. Yeah. And there is a midrash yeah. that says that Moses wrote the book of Job. Okay, so I get that totally. I just get that. Only Job got to get through something amazing. So maybe that's the next incarnation of Moses. To when when Moses ascended to heaven or whatever, without you know going through the usual channels, um, maybe that's where he got the insight of being able to write the book of Job, so that Job could go through <coughs> the same kinds of things and live through it. It's amazing. Uh, uh, Rob, and then Stu, and then Pauline. Um, I was just going to say, while well, I'm sort of personally, you know, sad that Moses doesn't get to the promised land, it's just so much of a better story that he doesn't. It's sort of the difference between a Hollywood movie and a movie, right? We wouldn't be having this discussion. If he got there, it'd be wrapped up, it'd be tidy, and it'd be fake. So the fact that he doesn't get there... Um, is exactly what Susan's saying with Pauline about, you know, you keep your eye on the prize, but it, it, reaching the prize or attaining it is irrelevant. It's, it's the path there. That's what matters. Nicely put, Rob. Yes, we'll get to everybody. Thinking, I find the whole story somewhat disturbing. Because it's, Good. It's disturbing? <laughs> yeah. It's a very conquering thing. And throughout history, there have been people that says, God is on our side, and you have nothing. Your fear will be overcome because God is with us. Yeah. Now, where, what would Mordecai Kaplan have said had he lived there? He says specifically, "Beware of people who say I know what God wants." Mm -hmm. Moses is doing that all the time. Yes, if you do a concrete reading of the Bible, uh, and then it's it's problematic and has been read concretely by people. And continues to be read concretely by people. God is on our side, therefore God's not on your side, blah, blah, blah. You know, Stu, that, that's, that we're working for the last oh, 25 years to recapture what's another reading that's not a new reading, but an ancient reading of the Torah, that it's about our spiritual journeys more than about a physical journey. And that's why I keep pointing out how the language of this is always about ascent. Right? The Hebrew is go up, go up, rise up, rise up or go down to the state of slavery, or up to the state. So, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pauline, and then Shakira. Is Shakira? Uh, I just have this. Shakia. Shakia, yeah. Um, this whole vision about this Deuteronomy and the retelling of the story, and the whole image of parents and child. It talks in here about um, God carried you as a parent carries a child. Moses carried his people like a parent carries a child. Right. This one generation going into another generation. And out of five books of this most sacred piece, there's one of them completely, which is just a retelling of the story. 
Right. What a strong statement that gives us. What this is telling us with the discrepancies, with the new lens that's put on in this culture. Because of course when we tell something in different generations, it becomes colored by our own journey. Right. But it makes it such a living piece of what in the beginning of the Haggadah of Passover, what we say after the Shema every day, and tell your children, explain to your children, give them this story, give them all these pieces with your glasses, with the new ones you've added on, with your new inner tangles, give it to them. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. That was beautifully put. Thank you. Shakia, and then Carol. <coughs> so. Oh, by the way, the air conditioning doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> Should we open some windows? Sure, open some windows. But the temperature's perfect. <laughs> hold on a second. Yeah, hold on. We're going to open a few windows. That'll help a lot. Uh, yes, go ahead, Shakia. So Moses, like when I read this or when, I'm, when I look at this or have looked at that, for me, I'm liking this area where this young man said it's sad. Is that sort of sad? It's sad? Someone said it's sad that Moses didn't enter in. So when I liken it to me, because I look at me like, I want to see Jesus, you know, I want to yeah. see God. So I bring it back to my life here on earth, like having heaven here on earth, was it like that for them? The promised land was like heaven there on earth in that time for them. Uh, what does, yes, when we talk, when Christians talk about the kingdom of heaven, some Christians I know talk about it as somewhere we're going to get to, but for other Christians I know, the kingdom of heaven is right here, mm -hmm. that we get to taste it and experience it every now and then, but it's actually right here. So the promised land is, you would call the kingdom of heaven in Jewish language, where we're the promised land is both, a, a, sometimes it's a place that we get to in the hereafter, and sometimes it's an idea, an experience, a taste that we can have. For instance, in the Jewish tradition, the Sabbath is known as a taste of the world to come or a taste of the promised land. So that it's something we can experience right now if we mm -hmm. prepare ourselves in the right way. To, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Carol? I've been hearing myself say, I'm, I'm thinking of driving to California next winter. Wow. And I don't know if I'll do it, but I'm thinking of it. And I hear myself say, because how much longer am I going to be able to do it? And there's, it, it, that's not sad to, it's poignant to me. It's not terrible to me. But it's, it's, it's recognizing reality or life unfolding as you as you say it's recognizing a reality that i'm slowly coming to terms with very slowly mm. but i am I, you know and and so i think it's terribly important for mm. us that the first generation does not get to go enter the Holy Land, and that Moses does not get to enter the even even Moses, because because 
whatever there is, we, we're going to die. And I think, I don't know yet, but I think if I can keep going towards that with the same devotion that I have to life, then I'm doing okay on <laughs> something. I don't know. I don't know what the. So means. I'm gonna. I haven't forgotten Shauna's question about Moses, but I wanna. I wanna talk. Hold on a minute. I wanna talk about Caleb from that comment. So we hear from Caleb again in the book of Joshua. Okay. So the book of Joshua is the book that comes right after Deuteronomy. In the Jewish tradition, we don't read it regularly because it's not part of the five books. See, we read through the five books every year as our lectionary, as our cycle of reading. So a lot of us don't get to Joshua that much. And in Joshua, they've entered the land, and then it says, um, Caleb appears in the chapter 14 of the book of Joshua. Uh, the Torah doesn't tell us, what, I'll just read what I wrote. What makes Caleb so special? The Torah doesn't tell us. But we do hear from Caleb again in chapter 14 of the book of Joshua, and we find out. Forty-five years have passed, and Joshua has led the new generation of the children of Israel in their conquest of the promised land. As the land holdings are being distributed, Caleb approaches Joshua. I like to think about all they have been through together, the only ones left who remember slavery. Caleb says, and I'm paraphrasing lightly here. Joshua, you remember what God said all those years ago concerning you and me? Well, that word has been fulfilled, and here we are. I was 40 years old when Moses sent me to scout out the land, and I gave him a report from my heart, while my companions gave a report that took the heart out of the people. And that's an exact translation. So that's why his name, Lev, is so important. Um, on that day, Moses swore to me that the land that I had trod would become my inheritance. Well, God has kept me alive, and it is 45 years since that day when we were wandering in the wilderness. And here I am, 85, and still as strong today as the day Moses sent me. Give me Hebron. It's fantastic, huh? And then the Torah says, Joshua blessed Caleb and assigned Hebron as his portion, and the land had rest from war. Which is very interesting when you put that together. So here's my question. Caleb says, here I am 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me. What kind of strength is Caleb talking about? That's, what I, that's why I had to read this to you after Carol's statement. Here I am 75 years old, and as strong today as the day... Well, you know you're not as strong today. <laughs> you're not doing eight shows a week. You know, it's like... Oh, uh, you need more naps. Uh, yeah. So what, what is the spiritual teaching here? Let me read a little longer. What kind of strength has he retained all of these years? I know I want that kind of strength. So, yeah. This is me. This is from uh, five years ago. I was writing this. Let me finish reading this, Susan. Do you remember Moses' original instructions 45 years earlier? Is there a tree there or is there nothing? Ha'im yesh etz 
Ba-o-ayin. In other words, in the original instructions to the scouts, uh, uh, Moses is saying, check out the land. Is it fortified or not? Are the people that, is there a tree or not? And I told you last class that the, our tradition interprets that tree not as, you could translate it, is there a forest? X, as a sort of, is there, is there timber there, you know? Uh, but the, the, the spiritual interpretation is, is the tree of life there or not? Are you ascending to where the tree of life is, or is it not there? Find out. Um, and then uh, Moses says, in, this, in those in original instructions, strengthen yourselves and take from the fruit of the, of the tree. So uh, the instruction is both, go to the, up to this land and scout it out, but go up and find that tree of life. And if you recall, I was telling you last time that Hebron is the highest spot in the land, in the uh, land of Judea, it's the highest place. And in Hebron, if you recall, is where Abraham bought the cave of burial. That's where Abraham got his stakeholding in the tree of life. And if you remember, I told you last time that cave in the Jewish tradition is not just where the patriarchs and matriarchs are buried, but in the legend tradition is where Adam and Eve are buried, and where there's a light always lit that leads to the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life. So in the spiritual, mythical journey, none of that's in the Torah itself, but in the story we tell that amplifies the Torah, um, Caleb ascends. Um, On his spiritual quest, Caleb had the inner strength to seek the Tree of Life and bring back its fruit. Forty-five years later, Caleb still retains that inner strength. What is his secret? As is often the case in Torah, Caleb's secret is embedded in his name. Kalev Kalev means dog. It never seemed like the most complimentary name. But then, what qualities does Caleb exemplify? I gave him a report from my heart. Well, my companions gave a report that took the heart out of the people. End quote. Caleb has heart. Caleb is all heart. And he is truly faithful in following his master. Life unfolding. So perhaps his name dog is high praise. And then I realized that Caleb has Lev right in his name. Kalev means like a heart. Caleb's secret is his heart. Heart in Latin is core, the root of courage. When you take heart, you strengthen yourself with courage. When you have a heart, you locate compassion and forgiveness. These are not physical attributes. They are qualities of the soul. We do not have to lose these qualities as we age. Like Caleb, we can be spiritual warriors, all heart, and shine stronger as the years progress. So here's what I wrote at that time. Recently, while these thoughts were germinating in me, I had a dream. I was looking at some test results from a physical I had just taken. The report listed how much acuity I still had among my various functions. This was a real dream I had. Uh, First on the list was visual acuity. 28%. Oh my, I thought, my eyes are getting pretty bad. At least I can still see. Next was hearing, 82%. Not bad. Smell, 82%. Okay, holding up. Then the last item, it said heart, 100%. And I thought to myself in the dream, 
oh well, my senses are going downhill, but my heart is good. <laughs> I puzzled over this dream until I started writing these words. And then I realized that the dream was a blessing. In the words of Caleb, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me. The Torah speaks in our dreams, where you are the landscape and the Torah is the map. Part of me is Caleb. Part of me is the children of Israel, fearful, untrusting, damaged. But part of me is Caleb, all heart, unbowed by life's hardships and betrayals, seeking the tree of life, as strong today as when Moses first sent me to scout out the promised land. No matter where life has taken us, we can be like Caleb, 100% heart. And then this was Yom Kippur, so I said, Yom Kippur can cleanse us, and we continu can continue our journey with courage, compassion, and heart, stronger than ever. So may it be. I have copies of this for you if you want. From That's from my book. That's in the book. You gotta have. You need a little lower key? Yeah. <laughs> you gotta have heart. All you really need is heart. When the odds are saying you'll never win. That's when the grin should start. You gotta have hope. You, you gotta, gotta have, have hope. hope. Can't Most just sit around and moan. Nothing's half as bad as it may seem. Nothing's half as bad as it may, as it may, it may appear. Wait till next year. Wait till next year. And so. When your luck is batting zero. Oh, oh, oh. Get your chin up off the floor, oh, oh, oh. mister, you can be a hero. You can open any door, there's nothing to it but to do it. You gotta have heart, miles and miles and miles of heart. Oh, it's fine to be a genius, of course. But keep that old horse before the car. First, you gotta have heart. No, that's the best moment of my life. <laughs> Carol and I are going to teach a whole weekend in December. We've got it scheduled now. Uh, we're calling it the Torah of Broadway. And we are going to pick out songs like that and pray them together. Who is that? Is that, that can't be. Damn Yankees. Damn Yankees. Right. Julie Stein no, and, no. Uh, um, Ross and, uh, God. It's amazing how these I songs. can't think of their names. Adler. Jerry Ross, yeah. Ad, Adler and, and, Adler and, Adler and Adler. Jerry Adler and Richard, Richard Ross. Ross. Jerry Adler, Damn Yankees. Damn Yankees. <laughs> they wrote two shows and then one of them died. And so that was the end of, of that. When Burton was alive. In, in, in Damn Yankees? Damn Yankees, oh my God, yes. Whatever Lola wants. That's another song. Uh -huh. Wonderful. So can I just say something about your dream? My dream? Oh, yeah, because what I get from it, if it were my dream, is it's about, all, it's about the parts of me. It's not about anything out there. I'm checking into me. 
I'm checking into a human being and what's important. And my senses are important and I'm getting, you know, a check on all of that. But it's like there's no false idols out there. There's no, nothing out there that's going to help me that I need to acquire. It's just checking into me and the heart is the doorway in. Thank you. So my, my, because of that dream and my spending so much time with Caleb, uh, my take on what Caleb has is he gives people heart. He gives them courage, and, he, and that is nothing that you ever have to lose. But it doesn't mean you're a Pollyanna, no. right? The older you get, the less you know that things work out. Right? That's the paradox in all this. Or that you're not afraid. Or that you're not afraid, or that you're invulnerable, or it's all going to be the way, you know, you, you know or it's some, some, some elementary school idea of I'll be good and then <laughs> life's going to be good to me, or none of it pans out. And yet you can get, do anyway. you can do it anyway and even get stronger. That's what's going to take you to the promised land. <sighs> King Hiratsun, so may it be. Yes? Well, I was thinking... Um, that, you know, the slavery in Egypt, uh, probably somebody's already said this, but is being... If somebody hasn't already said it <laughs> in 3,000 years, I... <laughs> right? I'm going to be the first. Um, that the slavery is, you know, when we are immobilized by our fears and anxieties and negativity and judgment and all of that, so that we can't uh, function, we can't move to a higher place, and that... Uh, getting out of uh, Egypt and slavery is being able to move forward in spite of all of that. But then they got to this place where those fears were coming up again, as they do in life. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you go around, oh yeah, I overcame those fears, and then, you know, it's like the double helix of the DNA. Mm -hmm. You come to an another level, but then there they are again, mm -hmm. you know, and then some of the people got stuck there with their fears and they didn't have uh, they didn't have enough faith to overcome the fears to then go up to the next level whereas Caleb did mm -hmm. so I don't know that's just what thank you yeah something I wrote about was uh, somehow Joshua and Caleb were able to survive the degradation of slavery with their spirits intact mm -hmm. one might say that they are the Nelson Mandela's of our story unbowed or even purified by years of harsh labor and cruel imprisonment and able to emerge from slavery uh, and lead their people to freedom. Yes? Just, just to back up for a minute, um, so we were discussing why Caleb gets to enter and, uh, and you proposed two things, courage and faith. But it strikes me as I think about courage, uh, why do we have courage? And to me it seems like we have courage because we have faith. So, so they're not equal. The, the one comes after the other. And what I mean by that is, um, and you know, we're talking about, uh, I gave people a report with heart. And, and what's the line? And, and he gave somebody... That took the heart out of them. Took the heart out of them. So we have a distinction there that I think is really important and really interesting. Because if we look at faith in terms of my own life, I've started to make a distinction between faith and belief. Good. And to me, belief is a belief in something that I have articulated, right. which leads to fear, and then leads to me trying to protect that. And we see that in a lot of fundamentalism and of all different religions. 
But what we have with faith is an ability to rest in an unarticulable longing on our story. Beautiful. Belief in goodness. Or, you know, Beautiful. So what, I, what, what to me feels really important is, and, and what we're talking about is we're talking about faith being the foundation of courage. Uh-huh. Thank you. That was beautifully put. Beautifully put. Uh, Shana? It's also interesting to view this through the lens of what we know now about how the brain means and brain functions. What do we know now? Well, this is going to be very simplified because I'm not learning enough. That's okay. But it is believed in some quarters that um, at, at, at the bottom of, of brain functioning is the amygdala. Amygdala, yeah. The, which is also sometimes referred to as the reptilian brain, and that's the fear the fight or flight um, function of the brain, so that when danger confronts you, you have to make this decision. Get out of there or fight. And then comes the limbic system, which is the system of feelings. And how feelings affect the amygdala, it, 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 moder it moderates. Your feelings can moderate your response to fear. And then on top of it is the intellect, the cognitive functioning, which is your reasoning body that can say, okay, I'm afraid, and I feel this way, but these are the alternatives I see, and this is how I'm going to reason it out and get through my fear and get through my feelings to make a good choice. Mm -hmm. So in a way, this is a model of that. Yes. And, and for me, I've been a teacher my, during my life, my whole life, since childhood, is um, how do we teach our children? You know, how to use what capacity they have to make good decisions. Mm -hmm. and, and Joshua and Caleb, in a way, are models of this. Thank you. And in the Jewish tradition, the way the, to make an analogy, the rabbinic tradition, who had no brain science, uh, understood that human beings had a conflicting and dual nature. And one, our, our lower nature is called the Yetzer Hara, which means, which gets translated as the evil inclination, but which is described as our drives, mm. our, our amygdala, our, 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 uh, the drive to survive, right? With, and the, um, the rabbis are clear that we need that part of our nature, right? It's gonna, it's what keeps us, you know, striving in, in life and working for survival and work, but that we're also born with a higher nature, which is called the Yetzer Hatov, which is called the inclination to good, the, go the good to goodness, which it, they understand has to be trained in people. That if people aren't educated to learn how to channel their lower nature in service of their higher understanding, that you can't have society or civilization and there's no human realization that can happen. That's the Jewish, traditional Jewish way of describing it. Um, and from what I have learned about this, it has to be learned. You don't that's right. That's right. I've talked, a, I've talked a lot about how being raised in the 60s, I was raised on uh, the lovely Kool-Aid of we're all good and all we have to do is love each other and let people be themselves and it's all going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And that was a beautiful, beautiful story. Uh, and it's not true, right? We have to be, we, we have to train our young people and we have to train ourselves constantly uh, because we're not all good. <laughs> we're all mixed up. Um, Bob and then Pauline. Did it's, you want to? it's sort of very uh, 
out of fashion, I guess, but it's very psychoanalytic. It's very Freudian. He has the id, yes. the ego, and the superego. Absolutely. The ego ideal. So there are really four components in psychoanalytic theory, and it reflects so much of, of what we're talking about. I know. But no one mentions Freud anymore. So oh, excuse me. We can talk about Freud anytime. Yeah, I know. Pauline? I was just thinking about Caleb and Joshua and being, having survived Egypt and where they come from. And I'm thinking that, you know, we, we know in this world that people can have terrible, terrible beginnings in all kinds of ways. Yeah. And what it might take, why some people from those beginnings, either their hearts become so hardened and go through life with such only anger um, that they, there's no promised land and nothing that they give out is given from heart. They can't. Right. And we know the different reasons of why other people, like Joshua or Caleb, or just ordinary people come out and they've gone through it and what they've learned is they've learned the empathy, the one that we're always reminded in Torah, you were strangers in a strange land, you've learned, you've learned what it feels like, therefore you don't treat other people that way. Mm. And mm. those people often come out with very enlarged hearts. Mm. Because the empathy is so strong. Mm. Mm. But with Caleb, there was something additional on top of it. Because we all go through life and we collect our life experience. And some people can be very bright and collect a tremendous amount of knowledge. But when you take from that, when you take from the, what we used to be called the tree of knowledge, when you take just the tree of knowledge, and you filter it through your life experience, the story can come out in all kinds of ways of how you proceed from there. But when you take it and you filter it through a giving open heart, then you have something called wisdom. And to me, that wisdom is part of the strength that allows you to go on to be 80 years old and say, give me a Hebron. Thank you, Pauline. That was expressed beautifully. Hebron. Um, uh, yes, Jay, and then Helen, yeah, and just, then... Just quickly, because I think we have a bit of a semantics issue with the word hot. Uh, people what? Heart. Hot. Heart. Well, hot. It depends what borough you're from. <laughs> <laughs> Pauline. Pauline, it depends what borough you're from. I was wondering, you know, Midwest. Yeah, where are you from, Jay? Brooklyn. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but what part of Brooklyn? Because... <laughs> Different neighborhood. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Do we have a translator? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> Will, could you help me? Heart. 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 going to help me. Okay. I've always had trouble with R's or something. That's okay. It's all right. Okay. So, uh, before I could get my point. Sorry. A, I didn't interrupt you, by the way. I know. I'm quiet. So, <laughs> So, I think there might be a slight semantics problem with the word heart. <laughs> because, <laughs> because we're hearing things like courage, I think Will, Will is right with faith, 
I think Polina's right with, with um, um, you used the word of wisdom. But the word we're missing here is love. And I think heart, what love? Heart. <laughs> it's basically the image I get is always love. I mean, you know, it's used all the time. You see it either in New York, I see it in Valentine's, you see it on that. So if we would look at the word meaning love as an emotion, and everything <coughs> below that is, 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 is sort of the pillars that hold up love. So you've got the courage, you've got the wisdom, you've got the faith. And then I see the world, I know you're going to disagree with this, but I see the world with love as only two emotions, love and fear. Ah. Simplifies everything. If you look at it, love and fear, in my mind, it simplifies good, good. everything. So those... Um, so I just wanted to throw that out as sort of, if somebody says the word heart, you know, people might be interpreting it, well, this is courage like a lion, this is it. I just want to say, just put it on the table for discussion. Um, um, in my mind, it's approaching things with an open heart, approaching things with love. Beautiful, beautiful. And then you get to enter your own Mm -hmm. Thank you. And the beautiful thing about metaphors is that they inevitably have multiple um, uh, ways to describe them. I mean, a physical metaphor. Heart means all of that and definitely means what you're saying to me. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Getting back to the Deuteronomy uh, in the beginning here, when Moses is lashing out really against the people when he's recounting why he can't come in and saying it's their fault. He is, isn't he? Are we supposed to draw from that that he's bitter? Maybe. And ha having been a leader and then the people wouldn't follow him, so he, his leadership is gone. And he's Moses has all kinds of parts to him. Uh-huh. He might be bitter. In that moment, he's reacting. Yes, he's reacting. He might be bitter in that moment. That's right. Aaron, uh, I mean, the beauty of the again, the beauty of Moses' depiction in the Torah is is all of his full human range. So yes, yes, I think you're right. I think he may be bitter. He's blaming the failure, his failure on them, his failure as a leader. I mean, he's like he never even asked for it. He like yeah, like internalizing, like you know, you know, I failed as a leader because of you. Yes, think about the number of leaders who might feel that way about yeah, that. Yeah. Right. yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Patricia. Um, I've just been thinking about... Speak a little louder. I've been thinking about the whole idea of age and how we just think, oh, Moses, you know, he should have made it, but he was so old. He was 120. Nope, we have no idea. We get older, at, you know, it gets closer to realizing that, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be there sooner or something. But really, right, anytime we 
go. So I just find that, um, you know, it's sort of important to bring to life. Um, to, so not to, because you never know, so why put it off if it feels like you need to do it? Do it. Go to California, whatever. Drive. <laughs> <laughs> and also, another part is, so my mother lived to be 91. And now, I keep in touch with her brother, who's about four years younger than her. And there aren't that many people left. That's right. When you get really old, and I just thought of that about Moses, you know? Mm. Mm. So I, I want to talk, I, I want to talk, so yes, uh, let me hear Anne's comment and, uh, and Stu's, and then I'll talk about that. Yes. I want to jump ahead. Um, when God does, in the, what book, in the last book, to, is told that he will not enter. When Moses is told? Yes. No, it's in the book of Numbers. Oh, it is in the book of Numbers. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay, but it's ahead of here. When he's told that, there is no response from Moses. It goes on to continue. That's right. We're going to look I at that in a moment. I read that verse over and over, waiting, looking, seeking an answer from Moses. And from what we've said today, maybe it's because he's had all these intimations beforehand Oh. Uh, that he doesn't react. But I have found that in reading the Torah that there's a lot of times when very dramatic things happen and people do not respond, mm -hmm. at least verbally. Mm -hmm. God says, take your beautiful son Isaac and <laughs> right. take the knife. And I don't think Abraham says anything. He just, nope. he, he might say, okay, or... Nope, nothing. Whatever. He just goes and does it. Right. But for Moses to not say what? what? Right. So your reaction is the no. same as Jews have react. Okay, everyone. Uh, let's see. Uh, I just wanted to say that there is no one in the Bible who is perfect. And by the way, Aaron does the same thing when he talks to Moses about the the uh, idol. The he said right. they wanted this to do and it hopped out of the fire. And he's also doing that. But one of the wonderful things about the people in the, the people is they're human. Every one of them, you name it, who's, not one of them is perfect. That's right. So, but also the Torah leaves much unsaid. And in the Jewish tradition, not just our conversation, our conversation is the extension of I'm telling you, a 2,500-year-long conversation about this, yeah. where uh, uh, the, the stories about... I have another sermon uh, that I could uh, share with you from my book about what the Midrash says about the death of Moses and how Moses begs and pleads and bargains and cajoles. None of that is in the Torah. None of that's in the Torah. It's all in the Midrash. It's all in the story about the Torah. So... Um, Look at page 1026 and 27. 1026, 
This is when Moses strikes the rock instead of speaks to it. So in chapter 20 it says, The Israelites arrived in a body at the wilderness of Zin, Zin, on the first new moon, and the people stayed at Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. And the people, the community was without water. Okay, this is the origin of the story that Miriam was in charge of the magical well that traveled with them through the wilderness. It doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that Miriam was in charge of the well. But it says, Miriam died and the people were without water. Okay? Miriam, and we've talked about this in the past, Moses' sister is not just Moses' sister. I mean, she's Moses' sister. She was the one... She was the one who didn't find him in the river, but who put him in the river, who watched from the side, who made, who went to Pharaoh's daughter, said, "I know a nursemaid." Brought the Hebrew, brought his mother to her. Miriam has been with Moses every step, pre-birth, every step of the way. Okay, and the community was out of water, and they joined against. Moses and Aaron, and they quarreled with Moses, saying, if only we had perished when our brothers perished at the instance of the eternal. We're going on and on. Why have you brought the eternal's congregation into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die there? Why did you make us leave Egypt to bring us to this wretched place, a place with no grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, not even water to drink? Moses and Aaron came away from the congregation to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces the presence of the Eternal appeared to them and said, you and your brother Aaron, take the rod and assemble your community and before their very eyes, order the rock to yield its water. Speak to the rock, literally. Thus you shall bring water forth from the rock and provide drink for the whole community and for their cattle. And Moses took the rod from before the Eternal as he had been commanded and Moses and Aaron assembled the congregation in front of the rock and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. Shall we get water for you out of this rock? And Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and out came copious water, and the community and their beasts drank. But the Eternal said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to affirm my sanctity in the sight of the Israelite people, therefore you shall not lead this congregation into the land that I have given them. And these are called the waters of Miribah, the waters of strife, meaning the Israelites strove with the Eternal, whose sanctity was affirmed through them. That's it. Okay, there's no explanation. So, getting back to Shauna's question from an hour ago, the rabbis say, well, what? He, so he lost his temper. You know, what is this about? So one of their explanations is that this is the culmination of when Moses killed the, um, the, the taskmaster, the Egyptian taskmaster, and was never punished for it. He has to pay this price. Everybody's trying to figure out what, right? Because the Torah, as usual, doesn't tell us. And it's because of X, Y, and Z. It just tells us this is what happened. So that's where that telling comes from. Maybe, so now all you have is a list of maybes. Maybe it was because... You know, and you can link that. 
sort of um, emotionally to Moses his whole life having righteous, angry outbursts. Right? This isn't the only one. This is another one. But God has them too. Yeah. Okay. That's another. Yeah. Does God uh, waffle on any issues? Does God waffle? Because he's going to do one thing and then he does another? God changes God's mind in the Torah. Yeah, God changes God's mind. God wasn't planning to have him wander for 40 years. Uh, it's all a work in progress. That's, that's, uh, so that's where that story comes from. Um, however, another story is relating to what Patricia was saying. As you get, there's a time for everyone. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And um, yes, I have, I have, I know some very, uh, I have older relatives who, it's like everyone they know is mostly dead. Now they have people who love them and care about them, but I'm not in that place in my life yet, and I don't know what it's like. Um, is there a time for everything? And the, the, the reason I think about that in this passage is because Miriam has just died and the water has dried up. So think about that again metaphorically. Miriam, Moses, and water are a theme throughout the Torah. Miriam's name either means salty waters or mayim, there's a, this, right? Mar, yam means bitter sea, bitter sea, I would say salty waters, or her name mayim and Miriam, mayim is water. Her name is very watery. And um, uh, so, so she was there by the Nile. She was there by the Red Sea. She dies now. Remember Miriam took out her timbrel and danced at the Red Sea? These are the places where Miriam appears most prominently in the whole story. So Miriam's associated with waters and associated with protecting her brother. And, uh, um, and now Miriam dies and there's no water. So what does water symbolize? Right? Life. life. Yeah, life. Life energy. And so one of the keys in all this is if you look at verse 10 on page 1027, some of you have heard me show, show, I've shown this to you before. If you know Hebrew, in verse 10 on page 1027, and Moses and Aaron assembled the community, El Hasela, before the, before the rock. Now we're in the line that says, Shim Una Hamorim. Okay, do you see that? Shimuna Hamorim. Now, uh, Morim means rebels. But if you take the vowels off, which do not exist in the Torah scroll, remember, then you have Shimuna Hamiriam. Hamin Hasela Hazer Notzila Chamaim. Can Miriam get rock out of get water out of this rock for you? Hamorim Hamiriam. It's an amazing thing. My story about Moses, which just doesn't go away, so I keep repeating it. This is my, again, this is my story, is that um, Moses is beside himself at this moment. He says, Miriam's always gotten the water. What do you want from me? He lost, he lost her. He lost it. He lost Miriam. She was his caregiver. His caregiver, his rock. 
Miriam, we could tell the story that mo- rather than saying this is a uh, punishment from God, as we've often said, it's like this is life happening. Uh, Moses isn't going to enter the promised land. Miriam's not going to the promised land. And Aaron's not going to enter. It's going to have to be something somebody new. They, they're a team. You know, um, Moses is a lot older than Caleb and Joshua. Uh, so in my telling of the story, at this moment, what's happening is that Moses can't go on. He's done. He's done. He's done. And without Miriam, it's about now the last chapter of his life. Now, there's a whole other story to tell which does not contradict this one, which is that at the end of Deuteronomy, when it says, and the time came for Moses to die, um, and God takes him up for a look at the promised land, um, there's an incredible rabbinic midrash about this that has Moses pleading to enter the land, saying, look, bargaining, the five steps of grief, the whole thing. The whole thing. It's an incredible midrash. I'll share it with you uh, in full soon. Um, uh, Where Moses says, look, 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 look. I'll I'll be a bird. Just, I'll be an animal. Uh, Anything. I'll, um, just let me in. Well, how about if this happens? How about if, I know, I'll be Joshua's servant. It's just, it's like, it's the most beautiful midrash. And each time God says, no, Moses, your time is up. And finally Moses says, well, let me say goodbye to the people. He says goodbye to the people. Let me give them a blessing. So he gives them a blessing. And, huh? Five more minutes. Five more minutes. One more glass of water. One more, one more, one more minute. And finally, God says, Moses says in the Midrash, okay, and they walk up the mountain together, and he lies down and says he died with God's kiss. And that it was like, a, a hair being drawn out of a bowl of milk because yeah. uh, it was time. That, just a, that image again. Yeah. Uh, so, but he does get to look. On the other hand, there's Martin Luther King saying, I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. I know I might not get there with you, but it's all right. So the point for me is that it's all right, and it's not all right. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? It's all of it. That's the humanness of the picture of Moses. Um, it's, all, it's not all right. Do not go gently into that good night. Right? And it's all right. And we're going to be ping-ponging around the whole thing. Right? So underneath all that, I want to get back to... Um, oh, I, I forgot your name. Will, Will, talking about faith. Like, what's going to sustain us in this, in this uh, roller coaster ride? You know, this, this two steps forward, one step back, ascent to the promised land, where we also find ourselves losing our faculties even as we're gaining something. It's like, what's going to sustain us except an idea? The idea for me is expressed in the first chapter of Genesis always, which sets the tone for the whole Torah. And God looked at everything God created, and behold, it was very good. 
Right? That's the faith. That somehow, in the midst of all of our experiencing, there's a fundamental reality that's very good. For me, where I taste that reality is with the breeze, you know, is in the little moments in between things when I can taste the goodness of life. Psalm, the Psalm 34 says, taste and see how good God is. It's one of my favorite lines in, in Psalms. Ta'amu or'u. Taste and see how good. It, because uh, the saving grace for me is that no matter where I am, whenever I am, there's a person or an experience or a breath or a, that reminds me that it's very good. So I can get back into the fray. You know? Is that why Jews like to eat so much? Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> that may come from a, a starvation diet that they were on for a long time. So... Um, I know it's late in the, in the session, um, but maybe we could touch on it another time about Aaron. What's Aaron's? Aaron, that's a good story. No, we won't. We'll touch on it another time. We'll touch on it another time because it is two o'clock. Um, thank you for doing this with me. Shakia, this is our way of studying Bible. We, we talk all over it. I <laughs> hope you enjoy it. You're always welcome. You're, you're so welcome and your comments are always welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you. All right. So, go in peace, everybody. So, next week, yes? Yes, next week. Thank you. Hi. Um, I'll look at my blender. Would Linda like them also? Uh, I'll give yes, them to have you. That's Thank beautiful. You. Thank you. Did Susan okay. tell you about our beauty class? Good. Yeah.